There is a famous quote from the late Mexican dictator Porfirio Diaz. Poor Mexico, so far from God, so close to the United States. And it's this relationship that hovers over the documentary Blood on Our Side, which just won the jury prize at the Austin Film Festival. The relationship between Mexico and the United States between drugs and their consumers, between guns and gangs, blood and profit. The documentary is exquisitely made by filmmakers Rodrigo Hernandez and Alpida Nicu, who I have on the podcast today. They bring the viewer to the border town of Juarez in Mexico, which just sits across the Rio Grande from El Paso in the United States. And we meet Ana Gonzalez, a forensic investigator who has the grueling and impossible task of documenting the violence in her city caused by the drug trade coming from Mexico into the United States. I spoke with Rodrigo and Elpida about what it takes to make a documentary so awash in violence the importance of filmmakers and journalists working together and what they hope audiences will understand about the US-Mexico relationship after watching their film. Before we start, I have to do the ask. Um, please do rate and review the podcast on Apple. You can do it right now if you're listening in the podcast app. You literally just scroll down a little bit and you'll see it says write a review and there'll be some stars. I hate asking, but everyone hates asking. And it does make a huge difference for helping people find the show. And for those of you who I know there are a lot of you who aren't listening via the Apple podcast, you can kind of fight the dominance of Apple by sharing this with someone you think would enjoy it or even better sharing it on social media. Make sure you tag me so I can see it. I'm at Lisa Josie on Twitter, L-I-S-A-J-O-Z-I on Twitter or at StorytellerPod1 on Twitter or over on Instagram at Storyteller underscore pod. Or me on Instagram, which is at Lisa Golden Josie. So anyway, you can find us. Just tag me. I love chatting to you guys online. It's like my new favorite thing. So yeah, just send me a message, share. I would love to see it. Um, last week's show with uh, Chris Stoker Walker convinced me that I'm definitely too old for TikTok. So I'm not going to try my, <laughs> my luck over there. So Instagram and, and Twitter is where you'll find me hanging out. And if you're real old, like me, you can send me an email, um, which I'll link in the show notes. It's also just storytellerpod at gmail.com. So uh, this is the second week of cross promotion um, with other podcasts, and which I'm really enjoying. This week's one is called Record of Change. It's a podcast that's tracking the lives of eight different people across the globe during the pandemic. I just think this is such a great concept. And it's really incredible to listen to the similarities and differences in this experience that at the end of the day, we are all going through together. Didem Tali is a writer in Istanbul. My genre is called book club fiction. Didem talks about how the pandemic helped her write and sell her book and get some good initial feedback. Finally, one book that's not from just another writer in Brooklyn. Didem and other protagonists from Hong Kong, India, Palestine and other places share stories about how the pandemic has shaped their lives on Record of Change. Find Record of Change wherever you listen to podcasts or on recordofchange.com. 
So yeah, that was Record of Change. Go have a listen. Now onto my interview with Rodrigo and Alpida. Uh, just a heads up, they are partners and they're looking after a little one. Uh, so I spoke with Rodrigo first and then Alpida comes in for the last few questions. And huge shout out to anyone with children during this lockdown. Um, heroes, heroes, heroes. Okay, on to the interview. Rodrigo, thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller today. How are you doing? Thank you very much to you, Lisa, for having us. And congratulations on your win at um, the Austin Film Festival. That's really exciting. Was that two nights ago now? Yeah, it was two nights ago. It was a really good news for us. No, we we hope that at this that works like for the story. No, we we really want to share like this story all around the world. So I hope yeah. that at least these, these festivals work for this. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so just to start off, I wanted to ask if you consider yourself a storyteller. Uh, yeah, I really think that all of us who work uh, making documentaries or even some journalists, no, because we we came from that background. We we used to work as as journalists, no, making uh, first like small news, after these like small reportages, later like documentaries. And mm. at the end, I really think that we are storytellers. We we try to talk about like a, a context. It could be a war or it could be a, a really simple thing through stories, no? Through stories of human beings who try to change uh, at least their, their own life, no? Nice, so, yeah. So, yes, I, I really think that all of us, we are storytellers. That is fantastic. And could you tell us all a bit about your film, Blood on Our Side, which, which won the... The, is it the jury prize at the Austin Film Festival? Yeah, so this is um, a story of Ana Lorena, who is like a forensic investigator in Ciudad Juarez. Ciudad Juarez is a city in the border between Mexico and the United States, and it was like one of the most violent cities in the world. And uh, in front of it, it's uh, El Paso from the United States, and it was uh, one of the uh, safest and and more like quiet cities in in the states no at the same time mm. so we follow the story of this forensic team who try to at least try to do their work in a more uh, effective way but they had like a lot of lack of resources and a lot of work because the problem in Juarez is that they have uh, murders and killings every day because of this cartel war that is happening in Mexico yeah and so you, you and your and your team, you follow Anna, um, who I'd be really curious as to how you found her. She's a very compelling character to 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 see the 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 eyes of the story through. How did you find her? So we we were looking for a story that it was it was more like in a Mexican perspective. No, we we were like really tired of uh, watching movies about what is happening in Mexico, for example, with the perspective of, of the filmmakers in the United States. And we we really mm. want to to follow the story of someone who is like trying to deal with all these uh, struggles. No, what is happening in Mexico, and uh, we we work with. Uh, Posi Teng, he, she is our producer, and we were like uh, trying to make like we made a research about following this kind of, of character, no? And we we mm. want to, to follow a woman who was trying to change the things in in a city like Juarez, and it was really difficult to convince her. It was really difficult to convince also like the institution, no? The the Mexican yeah. uh, prosecutors, 
but at least at the end we 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 managed to do it because we have been working in Juarez and in Mexico for the last ten or fifteen years, so we know a little bit about how how this institution works and and that's how we we uh, track Anna and we ask her if she wants to be in the story. Um, and and at the end, I think she understands that she's more like a symbol of what is happening in all these institutions in Mexico, no? because they are fighting not only against the violence, but also against the corruption and the impunity and the lack of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the access that you have is incredible because as you, as you see throughout the film, she's kind of, like you said, she's like located almost, I guess, between those two forces of the police and the drug wars and then what I found really interesting is that the the sort of setup of the film is that you're following her and her team throughout a week like you said where they are getting assessed by an American team to see if they can get more funding to handle the huge amounts of bodies and forensic work that they have to do so it's this interesting tension where the problem has been created by the U.S. but then they are trying to get funding from the U.S. And exactly. So could yeah, could you tell me a little bit about um, her work and what she goes through in the film? Because um, I'm guessing most of the audience won't be able to see the film for a while while they're still doing its festival run. Um, but could you sort of explain the type of work you were following her doing in her day to day life? Yeah, I mean that was exactly like the paradox that we want to show Lisa about uh, mm. this uh, difficulty that they have because they, they all know. I mean. Uh, our main uh, topic here, what we really want to show, is uh, like this hypocrisy, you know, that Mexico put the blood mm. and the states or some of the huge banks and companies and businessmen in the states, they have the profits, no? And a yeah. lot of times we only talk about, oh, the violence in Mexico without this context and without all this, all this complicity, you know, of the... Uh, U.S. government and, and European governments, no, and, and we want to show this. And what we do is to follow the um, work of this forensic team that they have to work for different uh, places all around the city every time that they there's like a killing, a murder there. Uh, mm. the, the huge uh, difficult thing in Juarez is that they had like a lot of work. I mean, there's like killings yeah. every day. There's like uh, dead people every day and, and they don't have even enough space to put like the dead bodies that's uh, the, the sad thing no so yeah. uh, because they have really um, lack of resources they, they don't have like enough material they don't have enough employees uh, they look for some help no and and some um, american institutions they try to they, they made them like exams of confidence no uh, mm. and if they pass this exam they, they give them more more at least material, no? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's even like very uh, paradox for them because exactly what, uh, about what you say, no? That uh, in some point they really kn- know that uh, the the origin of the problem is in the other side of the border, but at the same mm-hmm. time they receive all these uh, opportunities from the other side of the border. And, and yeah. to be honest, that, that makes them like a little bit upset but, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, in, in some point they, they say okay at least we're going to have like these uh, equipments or le- let's try to do it in that way yeah and I mean the one line that really I think brought home the intensity of it in Juarez was the the line that they said in some she I think she says in some states there can be five murders in a month but we can have that many in an hour yeah. um so did you 
how long uh, did you film with her? Were you with her for that week or was it sort of a bit broader and then you focused in on that week? No, no, we, we made like four trips to Juarez. We spent there uh, more than a month at the end. Um, mm. We tried to work with them, uh, I don't know, like 25 days, something like this. And the problem is that we had like a lot of material because mm. they have like a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, and and every day, every time they are receiving calls, sometimes they, they are working in one crime scene and they have to go to the other one, but they have to wait because there is, they're still fighting there, no? So yeah. it's kind of a nightmare. But at the end, they are like professionals and, and they start to think, okay, at least we have work here. I mean, there, there's like yeah. a job for them because to, to yeah. face every day this violence and every day these crime scenes, they... they put you like a wall in your in your eyes because it's, it's very difficult to deal all, all this with all this sentimental part and in, in fact it was like maybe the most difficult part for us it was to get closer to Anna in order to yeah. start to understand her feelings because at the yeah. beginning I mean they are part from all these public institutions it's similar to the police and I mean there's like a lot of corruption there's like a lot of impunity they don't want to talk about themselves no uh, yeah. Sometimes because of the risk and sometimes because they are training for this. And yeah. at the end, yeah. we, we, all this time that we spent together, uh, she started to open it, no? little by little. And, yeah. and at the yeah. end, she, she even uh, talked about like that she, she lost a lot of friends, that she uh, struggled no? with all these feelings that, okay, maybe 90% of the cases that we work in, they, it didn't work. I mean, yeah, they, they never be solved. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, I mean, I, I thought you showed that beautifully through her hair, right? Like this this idea that maybe yeah. even when she wasn't um, verbalizing how much stress she was under, um, you know, you sort of keep coming, you come back quite often to this idea that she's losing her hair and you can kind of see the, the toll that it's taking on, on her. Yeah. I know many of you listening are storytellers yourselves or aspiring storytellers, so... I wanted to ask Rodrigo and Elpida to go a bit into the work that it takes to build trust and ensure safety in a situation like this one. For me, it's really important that the viewers of stories like this one um, understand what kind of behind the scenes thought and community building goes into something like this and what forms the foundation of trust that the team is given and, and the access that that team is given. Um, yes there are definitely people who just drop into other people's countries and other people's lives but they don't get um stories like this one there's a lot of work and trust building that goes on so yeah i wanted to ask them about it so we could all learn a little bit more about what goes into it i'd be really curious in as much as you can talk about it um how you have those conversations like you know you interview her and she's had four colleagues um killed and they are targeted and you know i'd be for for people who um maybe you know people who are aspiring filmmakers or people who'd want to tell stories like this can you just talk a little bit about the sort of conversations that you have and the steps that you take to navigate that danger yeah i, I really think that the first step that you have to do when you want to work in this kind of environment it's for sure to work with somebody who really knows what is happening in these places. Mm. Uh, it's not this relation about the fixers that sometimes happen with uh, our work, no? 
because sometimes yeah. uh, like European filmmakers or, or the American filmmakers they go there and they had like this strange re relation with the fixers as they are not uh, not like a local producers but more like people that they are almost like slaves for me no? that yeah, they are going yeah, to yeah, give yeah. me the, the the topic the questions the contacts the contacts mm -hmm. everything no yeah, so yeah. we every time we try to to work together with local people and mm. with uh, work together uh, i mean that we don't take the decisions by our own we try to yeah. talk a lot about how are we going to work where are we going to go where are we going to film where is not allowed to film uh, which is the the wrong perspective for this story because sometimes when you don't understand like this context you start to talk something that maybe is going to work in a storytelling view in a narrative uh, way of thinking but mm -hmm. maybe it's a wrong way to see this because you don't know like the cultural facts or the context of everything that is happening yeah. so every yeah. time that we try to work in a place that uh, is not like our hometown we, we try to work with, with people there to be honest, if you find like the correct person to work in, in this kind of areas, it's even more useful than to make like safety uh, courses and, and yeah, all yeah, like HEFA training and um, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, that, that's the, the most important thing for me to, to find the perfect guy who work in that place because they know how to move and at, at what time you couldn't be in this neighborhood, for, for example, or Sometimes to, to get inside difficult places, you have to know someone there, no? And, and, and for, mm. for, for us, it's very difficult to understand, I mean, which neighborhoods are very difficult to deal and, and in which we could walk uh, alone, no? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was the first thing, to, to find the, the correct uh, guy. And, and after this, we had like a lot of conversations with the forensic uh, team, no? Uh, trying to, to understand... I mean, because we couldn't be like with them every time. We sometimes we had to follow them, and yeah. in some of those places are like really, uh, really, really uh, risk no, to, to be with yeah. them. Uh, so we try to have like a really open conversation, trying to understand. Okay, what what can we do? And, and we didn't want to put them in danger. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we try to understand when was like the best time to film, when is better not to do it. No. Uh, and in some point, it's a question of respect, of respect to the people who live in a place, to respect for the people who you are working with or the people that you are filming, no? Yeah. And that's yeah. why we, we try to have a really open conversation at the beginning of every filming that we make, trying to understand what can we do and what is better not to do it, no? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think, like you said, what... For me, what always—I mean, it, it's a very much the hallmark of, I'd say, the Al Jazeera witness documentaries, but documentaries that I love in general, which takes this massive topic, this huge topic, that if you even tried to dig into the history of drug relations between, you know, the U.S. and Mexico, you could—you'd be completely overwhelmed. But you follow this one person, and you just get to see the reality that maybe you don't get to see that often. And I thought. The I looked up the quote that she said in the film, which is the poor Mexico, so far from God, so close to the United States, which I just thought was very apt. Um, and from what she said, it's a, a common phrase in Mexico, I believe. Um, so I'd be curious to know what you make as a storyteller about that relationship um, of 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 this, you know, this this behemoth of a neighbor. Like, what do you do? as a country when you have a neighbor like the US? 
Oof, that's a difficult one. <laughs> it's a huge and, one. <laughs> I mean, of course, uh, there's always going to be like really a strong relation, mostly in the borders, no? But that mm. happens like everywhere, no? When when you live in a country, you're going to have like a lot of problems and a lot of influence with the problems that, that are surrounding you, no? Mm. Uh, and with Mexico, they, they have like this influence in all the ways that you could imagine, no? In the cultural way, uh, in the economical way, in the political way. And now uh, with this think of the drugs and the drug dealing and, and this evolution of the drug war, it was really uh, sad for Mexico to be so close from the United States, no? because at the mm. end, I mean, this war is not going to end, because yeah. Uh, yeah. if you still have demand, uh, even if you catch all the leaders of the cartels, they still going to be new cartels and new relations. And the huge problem now in Mexico is that not there, there's no like any more sicarios or uh, really strange farmers with guns. No, I mean they are huge corporations that they are controlling yeah. everything in the country uh, mm. because they are controlling more and more of, of the uh, real economy of the country. No, like the mining, the ports, the airports, the, the highways, even the meat. They have everything. Yeah, and for sure. Uh, that's happening because there's a, an amazing demand that is growing and growing in the states and in some point uh, the states wants to influence Mexico in the policy you know? but at the same time uh, it's really crazy that uh, they sell all the drug there but we never found that there's like American cartels you no, know? and we never yeah, found that yeah. there are like American sicarios and mm. it, it's quite strange you know, that the DEA and the CIA and the American police, they are working in Mexico, Colombia or Guatemala, but it's like nothing happened in the States. So, yeah. uh, of course, we, we have this big brother in the north uh, yeah. that in some points maybe it's it's cool, no? But to be honest, in the economical and political situation, I think it's really difficult for Mexico to have this influence. Yeah. So, with all of that in mind, um, what do you hope that people will take away from watching the film? So, I, I we really want to to make like these uh, reflections, no, about uh, the violence and about how which are the, like the real causes of the of this violence, no? Because sometimes we only heard about the Chapo Guzman and the blood and the cartels in Mexico, but we really have to understand that everything is happening because there's really huge and powerful men that they are having profits because of this. Yeah. Because most of the laundry in Mexico it's uh, of the Mexican cartels is happening in Europe and in the United States and there are like these huge amazing banks uh, that they are in the corner of our house in Europe and they are giving uh, making profits because of the, the drug wars, no? Like yeah. HCBC, like Rabobank, like JP Morgan. I mean, they are involved, all of them. And that's yeah. why they still let them to, to do what are they doing. Also, for, for us, it, the most important part is to understand that, yeah, yeah, for sure, there's a really difficult war in Mexico with a lot of violence. But while Mexico is putting the, the blood, there's the, uh, profits in, in other parts of the world. And uh, this war in Mexico is between poor people. Because the yeah. guys who work for the cartels, most of the times the sicarios or the small uh, smugglers, they are poor people, no? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we want to, to try to give like a general picture of uh, this is affecting Mexico, but uh, the 
who is provoking this, no? I mean, and who is behind all this? I got to ask Rodrigo about the production collective that he and Alpida are part of, which is called Buzungu. And I was really inspired to hear about the way that they've organized themselves and their motivation for coming together as filmmakers. I really think it reflects a deeper understanding and respect for the work that they're doing, the people that they're working with and the stories that they're trying to tell that actually translates into the documentary itself. So I thought this was really interesting. It's sort of how you do the work and the spirit in which you do the work. And uh, I think it's really interesting to hear about how people are organizing themselves. Um, okay, great. So I would love to know, um, to move on a little bit to like you personally as a storyteller. Um, and I think you've already sort of touched on a bit about how you got into documentary. I'd love to know where you got the name, um, Mzungu from, because that's from my part of the world. I'm South African. (laughs) So I recognize that. Um, can you tell, can you tell us a bit about, well, could you tell me where you got the name from? And I, I mean, you sort of shared your your path from sort of journalism to um, documentary. So maybe, um, well, let's start with the name. Let's start with Mzungu. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I was a journalist and uh, I, I came with another uh, partners to Africa to work like 10 years ago. And mm. we started to work as a freelancer. And in some point, we realized that it's a really lonely, uh, lonely work. And because of this evolution of the media now, there's like a lot of freelancers everywhere that they are like fighting between them and competing between them. And mm. in some point, we, we try to change a little bit these relations and build something different. So we try to make a cooperative rather than a production company or, or something like this, trying to, to work together trying mm. to help us together, not to compete in between us, no? Yeah. Uh, so we made this cooperative called Muzungu. Muzungu is a, a Kiswahili word that, uh, that's what they talk, call the, the white guys that goes mm-hmm. there. But the real meaning of Muzungu is someone without a skin. And okay. for us, it was like very important to understand this meaning that uh, behind all these topics of, oh, the white people, blah, 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 there's people without a skin that uh, could be like everywhere because at the end we all are the same no yeah so that's why we we, we start with this process of musungu and we have been working 10 years for uh, different media for different outlets making at the first at the beginning uh, small news and story and breaking news and later reportages and after these uh, documentaries and for us it was really important to realize that there's another ways to organize uh, themselves in this industry no because yeah. sometimes it's very that you have to build your own name or you have to work for this huge company in order to become successful and to survive and have a salary and won awards and we yeah. want to prove that there's another ways to do this no and Look, I mean, we have been working the last 10 years together. We have been growing. We have the same salary. We have the same responsibilities. We try to help each other in different projects. We have filmmakers working all around the world, in Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in America. And and after these 10 years, I mean, we are really proud to at least still surviving now. And and with these awards, for example, from Austin Film Festival, it's uh, like a way to prove us that there's another 
uh, way to organize us, no? And and I really mm. think it's very very important for filmmakers to understand that there's not this thing of the individual and your name and your ego. There's another yeah. ways to work here that are very important if we want to share stories of what what is happening around the world. I love that. That's really powerful. I think about that a lot because that's also I'm sort of I'm on the on the tail end of coming out of my I would say like my first big chapter in my career. And um, yeah, that's it gives me a lot of hope because that those are the sort of conversations I've been having with other freelancers now, you know, sort of saying that the us all competing and scrabbling against each other is not going to work and we need to sort of pull together rather yeah, than I, compete I, against each other. That. Absolutely. And it's very sad because in this way of competing between us, I mean, who who wins here, no? I mean, for yeah. sure, like these huge corporations, they are giving us like less salaries and it's very easy for them if something happened in some place, oh, I'm going to uh, hire a guy one week and I'm going to give him like less salary because there's like three guys uh, competing yeah. because to, to make this story, no? And for yeah. us, if you want to, to talk about these kind of stories, if you want to get approached to these kind of people, you have to do it in a different way. You couldn't be like this white guy who goes to uh, Angola and try to make a story without knowing nothing about what is happening there, no? Yeah. You have to build new relations with the people in, in the ground. I mean, for example, in Mexico, in Juarez, with all this conversation about the risks, I mean, who really is putting their lives there is like the local journalists, the local filmmakers yeah. who stay there because we go to Juarez maybe one week, two months, three months, but after this we uh, come back to our house in Mexico City or in the States or in Europe and we are like safe but there's people who is like risking their lives every day and if we want to work with them, we really want to do it in a horizontal way no, mm. okay, let's hire this guy for one week, we're going to pay him in dollars and he's going to be really happy with us. No, we have to build new relations with the people in the ground and we have to build new relations between us in order to make different stories and to to prove and to show that uh, we could work together, not always competing between us. Yeah, well, I love that. I have huge respect for that. So that's very exciting to hear. Uh, this is when Rodriga and Alpida switched uh, caring duties and Alpida joined me to tell me about what she hopes audiences will take away from the documentary. And I just asked her a little bit about the difference between what it's like to film in your hometown versus filming abroad. So could you could you tell me if you um, consider yourself to be a storyteller? Uh, well, um, I can say that yes, because what we are, we are searching for is like for stories to, to tell stories about people who are trying like to um, face the difficulties that they have, mostly because of political or social problems that they have in their countries. Uh, so of course we, we we consider ourselves like storytellers. Yeah, great. And um, so you're from you're from Greece, and I, I've seen that you've shot um, a lot in your home country. And I'd be curious from your perspective. Um, how does it feel different from when you're shooting in your own home to shooting uh, in a place like Juarez? Well, actually, in Mexico, it's been a year that I have been working there. It's like the first time that I went in Mexico, it was like in 2005. Mm. Uh, first thing was like meet more like social movements and uh, the Zapatista movement, which was like m what most calling me, no? Mm. Uh, so it's been a lot of a long time working there. Um, in this, under this perspective, it's not like I'm not feeling exactly like like filming outside my country. Of course, it is, no, because there are like 
cultural uh, codes, different uh, things that the, the, you used to know in your own country and you don't in the, uh, in the foreign countries. Uh, but in Mexico, I, I especially feel it like my, my own home because of spending a lot of time and also because like treating so many human stories all these years, uh, you make like a place feel it like yourself, you know, it's not mm. exciting being outside the country. Um, but yes, of course, uh, every time it's like many different cultural codes that you have to 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 pass, no, in order yeah. to be able to work and uh, be be close to the people. Mm. And especially with such, um, you know, such an incredibly sensitive story, I can imagine that must have been quite hard because I, I I know for myself, you know, even just when you work with people of different cultures or you working in in different countries trying to understand the subtleties about what people mean and what they say and what is said and what isn't said must have been quite um, interesting, which is I spoke with Rodrigo about the the power and the importance of spending a lot of time and really uh, respecting and getting to understand communities rather than dropping in. Um, so um, could you tell me a little bit about what you would hope people would get away from the film? So someone's finished watching the documentary. What do you hope they do with the the story of Anna? Uh, I hope that they they could get what we wanted to tell, no? And the thing is that uh, we always see and watch uh, movies and documentaries and stories about Mexico and the violence that they suffer in Mexico, you know? Um, But in many, and very good stories, I mean, very good documentaries, but the a uh, few times we can see uh, what are the main reasons why this is happening, no? So we wanted with this movie to show, like, uh, through a human story, through a personal story, the story of Anna Lorena, no? Uh, the, the reasons why this violence is happening in Mexico. It's not a coincidence that Mexico is makes border with the United States mm-hmm. and many of the profits of all this business, the narco business that it's happening in Mexico is going back to the States. Uh, so I really, really, uh, what we really wanted to, to, to the people uh, stay with this uh, film is this part, no? The, uh, where is, who are the victims and who are the people that provoke this violence in Mexico? I had already said congratulations to Rodrigo, but congratulations again. It's really wonderful. Thank you very much, Lisa. A huge thank you and congratulations to Alpida and Rodrigo. They were incredibly gracious with their time and jumped on a call with me within about a day of me reaching out, which is always just a pleasure for me as a podcast creator. I cannot wait for you to see this film. You won't be able to see it just yet. Um, it's a really good thing that they're winning awards and they're on the festival circuit, but that does normally mean that it's not going to reach the screens just yet, but it will be on Al Jazeera on their strand called Witness and a huge shout out and congratulations to the Witness team for this film. Um, they just make amazing documentaries. I can't sing their praises enough, um, but I will definitely, when it does go live i will push it out on social media so keep an eye out there follow on all the channels because you're going to want to watch this film when it comes out i wanted to throw in i'm i want to share more with you guys i want to tell you a little bit more about myself as we go along um i'm going to do it at the end i find it still a bit i feel like a bit shy doing it up at the top i feel like when you get to the top 
you start listening, you kind of just want to get on to the conversation, but um, I can be a bit more relaxed if you've made it this far, then um, that's great. So the two things I wanted to bring up were that I'm really, I was really, I wasn't, I'd asked um, Rodrigo about Muzungu because I know the word from home. It just means white person <laughs> for, for me at home. I didn't realize what he said about it being, you know, not having a skin. So I'd really just thrown that in as like a, you know, a cutesy question, I guess. And learning how they organize themselves is something I'm really interested in pursuing in my own documentary filmmaking as well as podcasting. Um, I do believe, you know, we're stronger together than we are apart. And the media world is changing so fast that it, it, it there are no safe harbors anymore, it kind of feels like. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. It's something that I'm thinking about in my own life. So if there are any other creators out there who are listening who feel the same or are maybe already a part of a collective like that, please drop me a line. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about it and reach out to my network to see what I can do. So my email is storytellerpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. The second thing I wanted to pick up on was um, what Rico said about fixes. So um, for non-journalists, fixes are local people that some journalists will hire when they go to do a story in a place that they don't know or they don't speak the language. And very often these fixes are local journalists themselves and they're normally the ones getting access, building trust, translating, making contacts. They do a huge amount of work and very often they don't get recognized. And very often they're not compensated properly for that work that they've done. It's a very strange and fraught relationship in the media world. And I was thinking I really want to do an episode about it for season two, um, this relationship. Um, a lot of people work excellently with their fixes. And I, I guess they just don't call them fixes. They're just local producers. But if it's something you'd be interested in learning more about, please do send me a message um, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, just search Lisa Golden and Storyteller and I'll pop up. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know if that's something that tickles your curiosity as well, because I does mine. Oh, and lastly, I have such a great lineup of guests for the next month. I am so excited to speak with them and share those conversations with you. I want to thank you guys so much for coming on this journey with me. I hope this podcast like stirs your curiosity and inspires you to think about the stories that you see in the world around you and the stories that you want to tell. That's what I want it for, is to make me think and to make me question and to kind of make me brave. I think there's, for me, something really powerful about speaking to people about the work that they do because it's very easy for me to sit back and think, oh, these people are, like, extraordinary, um, which is why I love speaking to storytellers and trying to understand a bit more about how they think and how they got to where they are and I really am I'm really honored um that you give me your time because that is the most precious thing that we have these days so thank you thank you thank you and until next time